Okay, Matthew 24. The goal tonight is to try to find some clarity for the lack of clarity we ended with, all right? I don't know if we're going to have any definitive answers, but we're going to see, all right? So the goal is clarity. I don't know if we're going to accomplish that. Matthew chapter 24. Everybody ready? I'm going to keep asking over and over and over. All right. Matthew 24. Here we go. I I don't know if I am, actually, because uh, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this section of Scripture. All right. Matthew 24. All right. We looked at the fact that Matthew 24, we've looked at it over and over and over again, that the context, obviously, is uh, the disciples asking Jesus the question in regards to his prediction that the temple was going to be destroyed. Jesus begins to offer them signs that's supposed to point them to the destruction of that temple. So obviously, just your normal, everyday reading of Matthew 24 should lead, and and I think this is very important, because, um, in fact, well, I haven't really talked a a lot about this. When it comes to to hermeneutics, obviously, there's all kinds of different systems of hermeneutics, at least five. Um, And it it can be very frustrating just looking at the different five systems of hermeneutics because if you follow each, each one of those systems would lead you to completely different interpretations of any passage, right? But all five of these exist within the body of Christianity. So that's why there cannot be any agreement within the body of Christianity because there's no agreement on which hermeneutic to use. But I think a basic rule, like forget all of the hermeneutical systems, right? Because I think sometimes we can get very, that can be very confusing. And even trying to understand, like if I was to teach all five of those systems, by the time we got done with some of those hermeneutical systems, I guarantee you, you wouldn't even know what they're talking about. Neither would I, because the system itself is so confusing. All right, but just set aside all of those different hermeneutical systems, okay? If we set them aside, we would be left with, now think about this, if we throw out all of the hermeneutical systems, what would we be left with? We'd be left with a Bible that is obviously in a written format, yes? So then we would have to rely on what? Forget hermeneutics. What would we have to rely to understand what we read? The basic rules of reading, right? Okay, agreed? All right. So, now, if you get a hermeneutical system that moves you away from those basic rules, I call those hermeneutical systems greatly into question. Right? I would say they're flawed because how can you bring in some rules that would move you away from the basic understanding of the words that are used? In fact, I will argue if you move away from those basic rules, you all, I, I would almost demand that you would have to impose a magisterial authority that would interpret it for you. Because if the, if the hermeneutical system is so confusing that the average layperson can't even understand the hermeneutical system, then it would be impossible for them to interpret anything, right? And the whole Protestant argument is that who can interpret it? Everyone. That, the Protestant system is, I can do it, right? Well, okay, then we're going to have to say that the basic, under, the basic reading would have to be the basic way, would, would put it this way, it would get the greatest weight in how to understand it. The basic reading of Matthew 24 would lead you to understanding that what Jesus is pointing to is signs that point to what? Destruction of the temple, 70 AD. So anytime we move away from that, we have to have some kind of overwhelming evidence that would point us to move away from it. Agreed? Yes, I think, that, I think that would be a basic rule that we need to impose on this. All right, now, I think we've been dogmatic. The starting in verse 4, all right? If you want to keep, if you want to make a, a, a little note here, I think we can say, and, and I wish we had more people here, but verse 4, I think everyone can agree that verse 4 would clearly make sense applying to 70 AD. We don't even need to look for a future implication. Agreed? Right? Yes? Or is there disagreement? Okay, hopefully there's universal agreement on that, okay? All right, because verse 4 is just a warning about what? Don't be deceived, all right? And clearly he's referencing them specifically. Hey, coming about the destruction of the temple, let no one deceive you. 
All right, verse 5. There shall become many in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. We've already looked at historically, demonstrating what? Okay, well, it could be at any time, but clearly this would apply to 70 AD, right? For first and foremost, right? I think there's some later uh, discussions about deception that may have a, a broader uh, context, but I'm saying clearly this would point to 70 AD. Next verse. Wars, rumors of war. Be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. In other words, starting around 33 A.D. up to, say, 69 A.D., they're going to hear about wars. Hey, the end is not yet, okay? Because the end is going to come in 70 A.D. All that would point to 70 A.D. No problem. Verse 7, nation shall rise against nation. Uh, There shall be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Clearly, all those things were happening between 33 A.D. and 69 A.D. There's no question about it. We don't even have a problem. And just basic reading would lead you to this, right? Okay, next verse. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall be endured unto the end, the same shall be saved. All right? and, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then, uh, and then shall the end come." Even if you have any hesitancy with any of that, the, the basic general reading of the passage would demand that you first apply it to what? 70 AD. So we don't have any problem with all this. Verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. We, we've made it very clear. The abomination of desolation there is referring to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Makes the perfect sense. In fact, there would be nothing in this reading following the basic rules of reading that would make you start looking for something in the future. Agreed? There's nothing here that would make you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's got to be future. Because the basic thrust of the passage is Jesus explaining to them when the temple is going, the signs leading up to the destruction of the temple. So far, so good. Verse 16, when you see the abomination of desolation, what do you need to do? Flee, right, into the mountains. Verse 17, let him on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes. Woe unto them that are with a child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Stop right there. All of that would clearly clearly point to 70 A.D. and running and fleeing and all of that. Okay, that brings us to verse 21, where the problems start. I put forth an idea this morning to fix this problem. Based off all the comments I've received, it wasn't very successful. (laughs) Okay, it wasn't very successful. And I understand why, because it's it's problematic. Now, what's frustrating is if I go to the, it's just so irritating that an entire book to give the preterist view that has been working verse by verse gets to this and decides we don't need to cover it. Like what? That's beyond irritating. So we may have to look at some commentaries, but let's work on this a little bit. We talked about it this morning. Let's try to at least establish this because we got some things to try to figure out this evening. So everybody ready? Thinking caps on. All right, here we go. Right? Verse 21 seems to indicate, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor ever shall be. All right. We're left with very few options with this verse. What are our options to interpret verse 21? Let's establish all possible interpretations. What is uh, possible interpretation number one? (laughs) 
Well, let's go with the, no one, no, nobody agrees with that one. Okay, all right, <laughs> nobody. So before, so we, before, we'll, we'll set the one I put forth as last, since clearly based off comments today, it seems like a lot of people are having trouble with it. It's not that they disagree, they're just having trouble with it, which I can understand. All right, I mean, some, uh, there was a, a wide variety of different comments, okay? So I can't go through all of them, but you'll get the idea. You'll get the idea. So let's go with, what would be the basic way of understanding this? Let's go with the basic options. Okay, so we'll, based off the normal way of reading, it would make a lot of sense to try to say, well, this is referencing 70 AD, right? And based off a normal way of reading, that would seem to make some sense. But where do we have problem? What would be required? Now, you remember I tried this on you guys last, uh, what, two weeks ago, and nobody wanted to take the bait other than Bobby, okay? But this is, this is, I've got to ask the question. What would be required for this verse to be fulfilled in 70 AD? The worst tribulation, or as some translations have it, how does uh, the NIV have uh, 21? Distress. Does it say great? A great distress. That this, I mean, great, great distress. All right? A time of something really bad happening. Yes? So, for this to be understood as referring to 70 AD, then 70 AD would have to be considered the greatest distress to ever happen going all the way back to the beginning of the world going all the way to the end of the world. Would that be fair to say? Yes? Okay? Would everyone agree with that? I'm going to uh, read it from another translation here. And it's never be equaled again. Um, That's verse 21, right? For uh, at that time, Now, please note how this translation is. For at that time, seeming to be referring to 70 AD, for at that time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Well, that would require that 70 AD is the greatest distress ever. And I'm sorry, I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't wrap my mind around it for a number of reasons. One, Horrible things that happened in the past. And if we have, if, if, if we're even half right about how to read the book of Revelation, far worse things are coming. Right. Even, even, even before we read Revelation, I think World War II. Now, let me ask a question. If 70 A.D., See, this doesn't, I don't think this even works. I'm trying, I'm trying. If 70 AD marks, remember we talked about what, that the end, what is the end that's being referenced? And we talked that the end there is, could be the end of the temple, but it seems to go to the end of the Jewish age. Correct? Would the end of the Jewish age mark the greatest distress that has ever taken place or ever will take place? The only way I could say that would be true is if the destruction of 70 AD ended all hope of salvation for everyone. That would be the worst distress ever. But Hebrews says, no, that system is gone, but something far better has come. And if something far better has come in light of 70 AD, then 70 AD cannot be the worst distress ever because something better comes in the, the rubble of 70 AD. Well, actually before 70 AD, but you after 70 AD, it's the only thing left. All right. Does that make sense? So that doesn't, that doesn't really work. So to say that the preterist view is right, I just you see why this doesn't work for me? All right. What's the second option? 
There's option number one that, it, that this is referencing 70 AD alone, and I just, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. What would be the second option? This is strictly future. Okay. Now, do you see where this gets confusing? So, wait, something future is going to happen that's going to be the worst since the beginning of the world till then. Well, what thing would that be? If you say it's the abomination of desolation in the future, so the abomination of desolation in the future when the Antichrist declares himself to be God is the worst thing that has ever happened since the beginning of time or that will ever occur? I would think Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back and slaughters everyone, right? In Revelation 19, everybody familiar with that chapter? I think that that would be far worse than just the Antichrist sitting in the temple declaring himself to be God, yes? So, what would be the future event that would be so bad that no one has ever seen anything in the past or anything in the future? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Now, if you're saying that this is referencing the future Great Tribulation, Let's say that seven-year period. Okay, but what would be the problem with trying to say this is a reference to the seven-year tribulation of the future? What would be the problem with trying to do that? It, wh- how, why does it show up here? doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? Because wh- what's the exact way the verse begins? Verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation. The for then seeming to be a reference to what? Well, tell me. Would it have to be 70 AD? Let me read it in this translation. Okay. Let me read it. For at that time, there will be great distress. What time? For at that time, what time would it have to be referencing? You guys tell me. Remember, you're, remember you're not Catholic, so you, you have to answer, right? Remember, y'all supposedly have this. For at that, what, what, what has preceded this verse? Do what? Connected to what? The abomination of desolation. Once the abomination of desolation occurs, run for your lives. They've been running for your lives, and then it says, and then, or for at that time, at the time everyone's running for their lives, marks the beginning of what? Great distress or great tribulation. So great distress and great tribulation that's being spoken of seems to reference that in the past. How do you read that to go jump to some future tribulation? That doesn't make any sense with the language used, right? It doesn't say, for that time will come that there will be great tribulation. It says, for at that time, referencing the events that precede it. Or am I reading it incorrectly? Right? Remember, what, what, what rules should govern what we do here? The normal reading, okay? I don't care about every other, every other hermeneutical system that's ever existed. If it, look, I, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to be dogmatic about this, okay? And I'm going to offend some people, but I don't care. People online just get ready to be offended. If we're going to create hermeneutical systems that the average person can't understand, then the entire Protestant Reformation was wrong and we all need to go back to the Catholic Church. Because you need a magisterial authority to be able to figure it out. Because we claim arrogantly we can interpret it. We don't need a pastor. We don't need a church. We don't need any. Now, Protestants will say, no, 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 no. We don't say that. Yes, you do. What's the whole thing? Be a what? A Berean. Because what did they do? Search the scriptures to see whether these things were so. They challenged the preaching of an apostle. 
Protestants are like, that's us. Okay, well then don't tell me you listen to a pastor. You listen to a pastor till when? Till you don't agree. And I, I get so tired of something. No, I will submit to a pastor until he says something you don't like. And, and even if you do, your system says that what? You don't have to, okay? That's the whole thing. So I'm just going to say, if, the, if we're going to create some system where the natural reading isn't the way we understand it, then we're, at, we're in trouble because that means we can't interpret it and we require someone who can, which would lead us right back to Roman Catholicism. So Protestants got to make up their mind what they want. They create these crazy hermeneutical systems. I just bought a book on five hermeneutical systems the other day. And by the time I got done reading one, I was so mad, so irritated that I pretty much was three seconds away from becoming an atheist because it didn't even make any sense. I was like, what is this nonsense? Like it didn't make literally any sense. I'm like, oh, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even come here and say, here's the three parts of this hermeneutical system because it made literally no sense. Right, well, that, you see how frustrating that is? Well, then how can we ever come to any agreement here? So I will argue the only way to understand this verse is it can't be referencing a future one. Do you see the problem with that? Because it says, for at that time, Starting in 70 A.D. marks the beginning of what? Great distress. Would everyone agree that that would be a normal way of reading it? All right. So that is what led to my third option. Clearly, this can't just start and end with 70 A.D. because that's not the worst that's ever happened. So that doesn't work. It can't jump to the future because the very language says for at that time, not pointing to something in the future, but what they're just talking about. So I made the argument that starting with the abomination of desolation, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD began the time of great tribulation. And great tribulation is a period of time that goes from when? 70 AD till Christ returns. Now, by doing that, do we have things that are far worse than things that go all the way back to the beginning? I would think so. I mean, whatever the population was in Genesis 6 you know it couldn't have been as near as large as the population that would be, I mean, six million people, just Jews alone in World War II died, right? You think of all the wars, all of the disease, all of the, the plagues, the famine, all of the horrible things that's happened to this world since 70 AD. We have, we've had massive earthquakes that's killed thousands, I mean, so many things that have destroyed so many lives. And then when you get to the book of Revelation, wouldn't we agree that that period, which is sometimes referred to as the Great Tribulation, whatever tribulation that is, would include this period of time that began with 70 AD. That would include things that would be worse than anything the world has ever seen, and it will be worse than anything that will ever come after, because it ends with a new heaven and a new earth, so there'll never be anything bad happening after it. I think that's the only solution. Sounds good. Okay? I think I'm like, woo, let's, let's go home right now. Hurry, let's leave, let's leave. Okay? Does that sound good to everyone? No, no, I'm not saying, nobody agrees. I understand. Nobody agrees with me, okay? The only thing that agrees with me is the curriculum uh, for the Bible study exercise. They agree with me. That don't really explain it, but do you, I, so that's why I wanted to explain it tonight. Does that make sense to you? So, so what's the problem with the, the that, this time of great distress only refers to 70 AD. What's the problem with that one? I want you to be experts on this. What's the problem with that view? Far worse things in the past? Far worse things since. And if we believe Revelation is even halfway literal, far, thi- far worse things to come. All right? So that's why that one doesn't work. Okay? If we jump to the future, what's the problem with that? 
It's yeah. I'm going to read it again. Uh, the way it uh, as for at that time there will be great distress. All right. In fact, I'll, I'll read it this way. Verse 20, Matthew 24, 20. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For at that time, there, there, that time of escape, that time of trying to run from the destruction, what will going to happen? There will be great distress. That's got to start the time. Right, so if we jump to the future, it doesn't make any sense. Agreed? So if we say, my third view, this starts the time of great distress, and it goes all the way to Jesus comes back, that would involve at what? Everything. And that would seem to fit. Yes? Okay. But does it actually work? Well, <laughs> I think there's some problems and we're going to see. I'm going to check here, make sure I don't have messages popping up because somebody will probably be asking a question right now. And then when I'm done, I'll be like, oh man, now I've got to go home and try to answer it. Okay. Let's see here. Give me one second. Okay, hang on. Here we go. Let me make sure. Okay, good. Nothing. All right. All right, everybody good? So everything seems to make sense, yes? But then we started realizing we run into problems almost immediately. Okay? So, so far we, we're good. That's verse 21, Yes? Verse 22, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Stop right there. There doesn't seem to be a problem with 22 because many believe, okay, whatever this period of tribulation is, God will shorten it before everyone is destroyed. If we read Revelation, clearly it comes to an end before everyone is destroyed. Agreed? All right, so that makes sense. So far, so good. Verse 23, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. From this point of the, now he's already given this warning, yes? So it's weird that he would give the warning again. But it's not weird if verse 21 establishes the beginning of an era that goes from 70 AD forward. So now... He's letting you know after 70 AD, after the destruction, after the abomination of desolation, if anyone says, hey, Christ is over there, Christ is over there, do what? Believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, that shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So it's just weird that he's repeating the almost the exact same warning, but he adds something to it now, right? He doesn't mention the false teachers previously being able to do great signs and wonders, does he? But now he does. Now, if this period of great distress goes from 70 AD all the way to the end, well, when I open up the book of Revelation, I see a false prophet, the beast, and all of that doing great signs and wonders. That's going to deceive the world, right? Okay, this would cover that period of time. So, so far we're good, yes? Agreed? Next verse. Behold, I have told you before. Well, he has told us before, right? Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, Believe it not. He's, already, he's even acknowledging, I've already told you this before. He's repeating, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. But this time, the deception seems to be referencing that which comes after 70 AD. It seems weird that he would be making the same, hey guys, before 70 AD, watch out for false Christ. He's led us all the way up to the abomination of desolation and then a time of great distress, yes? This seems to be referring to during that time of great tribulation, don't let anyone deceive you, even if they do signs and wonders. Are we, are, does that still make sense? So far, so good? All right, verse 27. For as the lightning coming out of the east 
and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, I don't think verse 27 is trying to establish a timeline for the coming. What is he trying to do in verse 27? That he's just simply making sure they understand, you're going to know when I show up because it's going to be obvious. He's not trying to establish a chronology here. He's just making sure he, we understand that when he shows up, there's not, you're going to know it. Agreed? Okay? That would still fit my view that everything since the abomination of desolation, a time of great distress has occurred. During that time of great distress, a lot of people may say, Jesus is here, Jesus is there. Don't listen. You're going to know when I come back. It's going to be absolutely obvious. Don't you wish we could stop right here? Because it would fix everything, yes? All right. What happens in the next verse? Oh man, this is where everything falls utterly apart. Well, it could. The problem is it so fits 70 AD that it's hard not to read 70 AD into this. Okay. Right. So reading, they would have. They would have. They would have. He's going to come back. Or a lightning would be an obvious sign. Right? He's just trying to contrast the unobvious. Hey, he's over there in a secret chamber versus something very obvious. Okay. I guess, but you know how many times a bird is over a carcass? And the true. Right. True. That, that's, a good, that's a good argument. I'm, I, I'm willing to hear any argument. But the people it's talking to would have. I mean, they would have seen them countless times. Right. And remember, he's, he's answering their question about when this is going to occur. And then he's giving them signs. They, they would have. They would have. But I think, I think he's just using, uh, now if, you're, if you go with your argument, he's just using lightning as an example that it's going to be obvious. So is he using the fact that an eagle over a carcass would be obvious? Is he just doing that? Or is he saying, making a different statement here? So let's, I, okay. possibly, I, I've got a possible idea, but let's see here. Okay, so he warns them, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Now that, I'm going uh, to acknowledge something. That verse seems so far out of place that it makes no sense to me. It just, it literally, like, wait a minute. You just talked about the Son of Man coming back, and then you're like, wherever the eagle is, there's the carcass will be, right? And you're like, what, what is going on? Okay, now, I'm not going to say this works in any way, shape, or form. But I'm just going to, I'm going to go, I'm just going to try this, okay? You can reject it outright if you want to. If we say that the time of great distress goes from 70 AD all the way to the end, right? Agreed? And obviously, at some point, Jesus is going to come back in a very visible form. And then somehow he connects that Jesus coming back in a visible form with dead bodies and birds. Yes? Everyone go to Revelation 19 and tell me what you've discovered. Not saying this works. Not saying this works. I'm just saying, let's consider. I would prefer to refer that to 
70 AD because it fits perfectly. But, all right, well, we're just going to go through this. Okay, all right. Revelation 19, starting at verse 9 through 10, we have what happening? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Agreed? Everybody see that? I'm going to move my mic up a little bit. Okay. So far, so good. Then starting in verse 11, I, the he, I saw heaven open. Everybody see that? Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon was called faithful and true, and in righteous he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vestures and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. You have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now you have another great supper. What is this one called? The great supper of God. And who's invited to this supper? Birds. Birds are invited to this great supper. What are they going to be eating? That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free, bond, both small and great. That does not sound like a pleasant scene. Birds are going to be gathered together. And they're going to eat. And I saw the beast and the king of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles. There's a false prophet that wrought miracles. Does that not coincide with what was just warned in Matthew 24 about false prophets doing signs and wonders? Yes. All right. Uh, and deceived he that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his Im image those both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon uh, the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were what? Filled with flesh. Jesus comes back, right? That's Jesus coming back. And what's associated with his coming? Dead bodies and birds. Would everyone agree that that's all mentioned right there? In Matthew 24, Jesus is, talks about his coming back with lightning and then what's immediately associated with it. Well, first, there's a warning about false prophets deceiving people, yes. In Matthew 24, with signs and wonders. The signs and wonders is mentioned in uh, Revelation 19. Then Jesus is said to come back with lightning. Heaven opens, he comes out. Then the next verse talks about where you see the eagles and the bodies, right? In Revelation 19, you have birds partaking of the flesh of humans, right? All fits together. Now, I can go full-blown preterist here because others would say, well, that's exactly right because the book of Revelation is about 70 AD. Okay. But the only problem is we believe Revelation was written when? Yeah, way after. So that's the problem. If they ever find any dating that puts Revelation before 70 AD, then you would argue, see, this is all pointing to 70 AD. But I don't think Revelation does, but does it not fit the language perfectly with Matthew 24? Now, it fits perfectly with Matthew 24. If the Great Tribulation starts in 70 AD, goes all the way to the end, that would involve Jesus coming back and destroying everyone, and a great supper is prepared for birds to eat the flesh of human beings and horses. 
Does anybody want to witness that? So far, so good. All right, now go back to Matthew 24. Do we think, does, does that, I, I, I don't hear anybody going, ah, that works. Okay, so I, I don't know if, if uh, okay, <laughs> all right. I don't know. Now, what happens in verse 29? Now, this is where it gets confusing. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, here's the problem. Which tribulation is this referring to? We, have, we, have, we, we go back to our, our three options. What are our three options? Just 70 A.D., we're just going to keep this in 70. Immediately after the destruction of the temple, what happens? According to this. The sun is darkened. The moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of heaven shall be shaken. That, that's kind of problematic. Would we agree? So what, do we, what would we have to do here to make this work 70 AD? That's all symbolic. And guess what's it symbolic of? The fall, the fall of a nation. So this would have to make it all 70 AD. And we've already found problems with trying to keep this all in 70 AD, agreed? So, mm, have a problem with that. If we jump to the future, what's the problem with that? If we jump just immediately to the future and leave everything else out, we have a lot of difficulty because it doesn't seem to fit with the, with the, the phrase that for at that time, in the previous verse in verse 21, is where the great tribulation begins. But wherever this tribulation ends, so where does this tribulation end? Well, if this tribulation ends with the return of Christ, now we've got to associate what with the return of Christ? Yes. All right. Right. We've got to connect this with the return of Christ. Now, wouldn't it be great if Revelation 19 would have given us all of that? Wouldn't it have been great? Not Revelation 19. Okay, that, yeah, that's what I was saying. If Revelation 19 did, it would be great. Yes? It would be wonderful. Because then he would be coming back and... There are things that, these kinds of signs seem to precede his coming, but this says that, that these signs pr- happen when? After the tribulation. You see the problem? So, let me, let's, let's try this. Go back to Revelation. I'm not going to say this works. I'm just trying. Look, I'm throwing, out every, I, I'm throwing out every idea I can possibly come up with, okay? Everyone dies, right? There's death and destruction. Then what happens in chapter 20? An angel comes down, he locks up Satan for a thousand years, right? And then what happens? The thousand year reign of Christ, agreed? At the end of those thousand years, we have a war, correct? Okay. Then we have a judgment that occurs in verses 11 through 15. What happens in verse 21? Yeah, chapter one, I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 1. But what happens before the new heaven and the new earth? The destruction of the first earth. Does everybody see that in verse 1? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth was... What would that include getting rid of? Well, you've got the heavens and the earth. Go back to Matthew 24. After the tribulation, what occurs? Okay. With that, can we fit that in? That that would be the destruction of all of that? I'm not saying it works. Look, I'm trying. I'm reaching. 
But I'm just saying Matthew 21 is after the tribulation, agreed? And it has the destruction of all of those things. Moon, sun, stars, all of it is gone. Because you're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. It's not immediate, but it just says after the tribulation. It's after the tribulation. It's a thousand years after the tribulation, but it's after the tribulation. Okay, and a war, but it's still after the tribulation. All right, I'm just saying, chronologically, it at least fits. Okay, now the other, only other option is that all of that is simply symbolic of the destruction of Israel. So guess what? We're still then making all, everything that precedes it 70 AD. So guess what would be required? Go back to Matthew 24. I want you to see the problem here. Go back to Matthew 24. I'm trying to make it all fit together. I'm trying. All right. Okay, someone uh, just asked a question in regards to uh, Revelation 19. It says, Revelation 19, is it, the wrath is poured out only on non-elect, correct? So that can't be what's cut short for the sake of the elect. Sorry if I'm confusing things. Well, all I'm going to say is what's cut short is the time of tribulation is cut short so that not everyone is destroyed. And clearly not everyone is destroyed. Agreed? That, that's the only... That's, I'm not saying it fits perfectly. That's the only possible explanation, okay? So, go back to Matthew 24, all right? All right, here we go. Now, stay with me. Matthew 24. Uh, immediately, uh, now, okay. Now, now Sarah can make an argument. It says immediately after the tribulation. There's a problem. We got a thousand years. Yeah, how do we understand immediately here? Exactly, okay. So we do have a problem here, but... Except that I did say there was a war. Right. Right after the thousand years, we have this massive war. Right. So we're still tribulating. Oh, I wonder, can we... But that would say the millennial kingdom... Oh, or just say it's a pause in the tribulation, and the tribulation doesn't... The time of great distress doesn't end after that war. If we say... So we would literally have to say the period of tribulation goes from 70 A.D. until the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. Because you're right. At the end of the thousand years, you still have a time of distress. You have a war. And then you have the destruction of the entire earth. That's, that's a good argument. And so then after that war would be immediately after the tribulation, and then you have the new heavens and the new earth. That may work. That may actually work. Yeah, it would include all of that. It would include everything. So that could possibly work. We would just have to expand expand the time of great distress all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. Because you're right, after the end of the thousand years... You have an entire war that sounds really, really, really bad. That would be a time of distress. Now, some people are going to get confused. Make sure we understand. We are saying that the time of great distress mentioned in Matthew 24 now would go from 70 AD all the way to the establishment of a new heaven and new earth. I am no way, shape, or form throwing out that there's an, a possible time period called the seven-year Great Tribulation, possibly referenced in Revelation. I'm just saying whatever that time of tribulation is that's seven years long would involve the greater period of time of great distress that goes from 70 AD to the establishment of the new heaven and new earth. Does that make sense? One is just a generic time frame that describes even the time we're living in now. All right, does that make sense? Yes, but the main thing is at the end of it, there's a, a war which still would be a time of great distress. All we got to do is just demonstrate that even though it may stop for a thousand years, right? but even during that thousand years, Christ is ruling people with a rod of iron, so there's still going to be time of distress and judging. Things are still not perfect. Clearly, people still have a sinful nature because 
Well, they reject and rebel at the end, right? So, all right. So, when? Right. Right after the millennial kingdom, right. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a time of great distress. So I think, I think that works. Okay, that, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you for, I think that's a great way of pointing that out. So now, we, we've got that fixed. So here we go. Immediately after the tribulation, we fixed verse 29. Then what happens in verse 30? Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now you see the problem. <laughs> oh, man. Where's the problem now? Now you have the second coming. Oh, man, we were so close to fixing it. We were so close. We were so close. We were so close, weren't we? We were so, we were right there. We, we could see the finish line. What's the problem with this verse? Does everyone understand where the problem is? Yeah, we have the second coming. Then we have the thousand year reign, right? Then we have the war. Then we have the destruction of everything in the new heaven and the new earth. At the destruction of everything, everyone's not going to see Jesus coming. He's already there. (laughs) It it falls apart, doesn't it? So, what are our options here? Okay, let's go back to it. We'll have to. We just have to end here. I wanted to end with we're removing all confusion. It's not going to happen. Okay, we're never going to be able to finish. We're not going to be able to ever solve this just so that you know. All right. If we go with purely 70 A.D., what do we do with all of this? This Jesus coming back is a reference to what? The destruction of the temple. I know it stops making any sense at some point. Would everyone agree that that's just I'm having a hard time making even that work. Right. Well, just read what they supposedly happens. If that's describing 70 A.D., Jesus came back in 70 A.D., and what did everyone do? Read the verse. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That did not happen in 70 A.D. Now, I got the preterist explanation right here. It's complete garbage. That does not work. Would everyone agree? Or no? I'm hearing silence, so I don't know what that means. Does anybody else think it makes sense? No, okay, I got two no's. No, I got three no's. Okay. Sarah, are you you contemplating if it makes sense? Okay, all right. She's, She's unwilling to commit. Okay, I have a hard time making that fit 70 AD. Look, I've read the Preterist view 50 times and it still doesn't make, they just make it all symbolic, right? I just, that doesn't even work, right? Even in a symbolic way, where did everyone mourn? Oh, 70 AD, did the whole world, all the tribes of the earth mourn 70 AD? I would think most of the tribes were celebrating 70 AD, agreed? It was the destruction of Israel. So I, I, Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anybody saw 70 AD go, Jesus just came back. Okay? <laughs> no, no, I don't think that. That doesn't make any sense to me. All right? If we jump to the future, what's the problem with putting this just to the future? The chronology seems to all fall apart, right? We were able to fix where, like, okay, Jesus comes back. There's the slaughter of everyone. There's birds. Like, we, everything was working so good, right? We had the end of the tribulation. We tried to figure out how we could make that fit. Now this seems completely, once again, out of place. 
Agreed or no? And then what happens after the, this supposedly occurred? And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth. I mean, so you have Jesus coming back and then gathering all of his elect. That, how do, the chronology here just doesn't make any sense. I don't even know how you make this work. Like, usually it's dispensational pre-mill who love this stuff. How do you make the chronology work? Wouldn't Wouldn't they have been gathered during the millennial kingdom? I mean, in Revelation 19, the saints come back with him, right? Yes, they come back with him. Then destroy everything. Then you have the millennial kingdom. Are the saints not gathered there? No, I agree there's a new Jerusalem that comes down. I agree. Yeah, we definitely have to think on it. I, now, is it possible? Here, here's a question. I'll just throw this out. Is it possible? Now, Stephen, I'm glad he's at least he's throwing concepts out because because I don't know what to do here. Is it possible that in Revelation 21, with the bringing down of New Jerusalem, does that somehow fit and answer? And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth. The problem with verse 31, 30 and 31 fitting the coming down of the new Jerusalem is where is the earth by the time that occurs? It's already destroyed. It des- it's destroyed where? 21.1. Yeah. Right, but everyone's, the earth is already destroyed. So how would all the tribes of the earth, like, does that, do you see where I'm having a problem? That's a good point. Could this reference that when they see the sun, when they, when they, well, we have to see the new Jerusalem coming down as the sign of the son of man in heaven. Yeah, it's, it's a very odd way of, of rendering it, I think. All right, we'll have to stop right there. All right? So, to the person who asked the question about, uh, about in Matthew 24, uh, where's the verse that says the time will be cut short? Verse 22, And except those days shall be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake... Those days shall be shortened. I think what that's referencing, that, that if we go that the time goes from 70 AD, I'm going to say, to the new heavens and the new earth, that that time is cut short in, in some way, shape, or form that not everyone is destroyed. And, we, and all I can say is not everyone is destroyed, right? And I would say that the people who are saved are clearly the elect, Right? All right, so I see. I mean, I don't have any better. To me, there's far more greater problems than that. I don't. I, I may not have a good answer for that, but I, that that's the best I can come up with. Somehow, in God's well, God says it's going to be shortened, so God knows it's going to be short. Which is really weird. How is He shortening what He already knows He's going to shorten? I, I don't know how you work that out, but okay. All right. Any other questions currently? All right. So where did where did we stop with uh, not knowing the answer? Verse 29. Verse, no, verse 1. Don't make me have to go all the way back to there. Verse 29 and following is completely perplexed and confused. And what even makes it, uh, yeah. Verse 34 even makes it more confusing. Everybody see how, why verse 34 breaks the entire chapter? 
Because that generation is not going to pass away until they see all those things happen. That's the, that's the ace up the sleeve for the preterist. The preterist is like, it has to all be 70 AD. And I look, I understand. Verse 34 makes it almost impossible to, to argue against a preterist. You've got to start playing all kinds of games. But I will argue for them to make 70 AD work, they have to play all kinds of games. In other words, whatever position you hold to, guess what you're going to have to do? Play all kinds of games to try to make it work. Because I don't think any one answer works. So, we tried. All right, let's stop. Lord God, we come before you this evening. I, other, all I can say is we still don't have answers. And Lord, just continue to give us the dedication and commitment to try to find the answers. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...